Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about an insect that, in our opinion, just doesn't get enough publicity. It's wheat stem sawfly. This is very similar to gall midge larvae that we deal with in soybeans now, unfortunately, where it's unbelievably difficult to control and we don't really have great insecticides to do it. So we're going to talk about at least reducing the issues with wheat stem sawfly a little bit on our show today. But if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com or find us on Twitter Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I, I keep seeing reports from around the United States and into, into Canada just talking about delayed planting. And so if you are dealing with that right now, I just want to encourage you today, keep your head up. We've been through that many times ourselves on our farm. Stay positive. Things can actually still turn out quite well this year. We have to look at, number one, commodity prices and say, you know what? With delayed planting everywhere, the odds are prices are going up, not down. And quite frankly, we've got world food issues right now. In other words, lack of food. The world needs more food. So the odds that commodity prices are going down in the short term are probably pretty slim. It could happen, but it's probably pretty slim. So when I look at even our own farm and I say, man, those fall prices that I have right now, and I think they're going higher. But even if they, they're they where they're at today and you want to lock it in today, it's a really good price. And then the next thing is we have planted crop really late and still turned out with pretty good yields. I mean, we, we've planted corn mid-June and still gotten 200 bushels, bushels to the acre. We have planted soybeans in the very first week of July and still gotten over 40 bushel beans. And I look at, and this was 20 years ago when we did that. So what could we do today with the great early varieties we have? I'm positive we could do even better. So I'm just trying to say here, not all is lost because we've got delayed planting today. And even though things may look bleak for you, it's just like I literally just got off the phone with another farmer before I stepped into the radio studio. And I was just telling him, yeah, even we, some of our fields got an inch and a half of rain just yesterday, last night. And I thought, oh, we're never getting back out there for, you know, two, three days, whatever. Already this afternoon, it's 86 degrees. The sun's out. The wind's blowing about, I don't even know, 30, 40 miles an hour. It's already dry enough to go. So I, 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 I'm just saying things can turn pretty fast. We've had it before where we had a lake on one field. And within we had three days in a row, 90-degree temps, 30-mile-an-hour winds and sun. And all of a sudden it's like, well, what? We can farm that? There's no. I thought we had no chance. I thought we were done for the whole year. So anyway, just keep praying. We'll hope for the best for you as well. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, uh, get get a timely one here, Brian. I'm really actually surprised to see this on May 12th because Matt in Illinois is still working on setting up a new planter. 
And he said, I want to have my planter set up to maximize corn and bean yields. I considered putting a two-by-two system on, but can't afford that option right now. The Thrive 3D system intrigues me, though. If I add that, would you go with applying Zyway, or would you use Ethos? I also considered adding smart boxes for insecticide. We put the maximum treatment on our corn and beans and use SmartStacks corn. Okay. We have a Thrive 3D system on our planter and we did some of each this year we did some ethos i think it was ethos i don't don't think it was one of their other insecticides but anyway i think it was ethos but either way you got if we did capture or we did ethos either way you've got bifenthrin in there the active ingredient capture on more of our fields we did zyway now the reason why we did the zyway on more of our fields is because we put capture LFR in furrow. So we had the insecticide already taken care of there, and then we chose, all right, let's, on this fungicide deal, we, we want it done that way. I, I really like the, the Thrive 3D system because it turns stuff into a foam. So think about it like hand soap. Remember the old hand soap is a gel. You get this little squirt, and you've got to rub that around your hands. It was hard to get off, hard to get get. get coverage and everything basically whereas now almost everything is foaming soap you get to use less soap and the coverage is way better well it's kind of the same principle here there's air injected into the stuff and i don't remember what it is 30x 50x the coverage so you get better coverage there's way better seed safety overall better control whether you're using insecticide or fungicide whatever so i i i don't know what to tell you it's a judgment call Okay. I like insecticide. I like fungicide, especially for early planting. But even this later planting in the area you're in, and let's face it, the reason why planting's delayed this year is because it's been wet. Well, when it's wet, you have more disease issues. So I, I, I could really see that either way. Um, in terms of putting on insecticide dry along with your SmartStacks corn, the only way I'm doing that is if I've had a major problem and I've got resistance to multiple modes of action with BT. So like on our farm, for example, there is resistance here to single traits. Okay, the first single trait BT resistant rootworms in the world were found in our home section about half a mile away from where we're doing this radio show right now. So I know we've got resistance issues here, but when we went to smart stacks and we have two modes of action, well, we really ha- haven't had that many problems. And so I just figure, okay, we'll capture LFR. Yes, it's not quite as good as Aztec or Force Dry, but it's almost as good. And that's, that's plenty good enough when I also have smart stacks corn. So anyway, that's why we haven't put smart box systems on our planter, but boy, if I wasn't going to plant, SmartStacks corn, and I've got continuous corn, I'm absolutely doing that because we know the rootworm pressure is high, especially like in our area when it's probably 60-70% corn around us. All right, we're going to talk wheat stem sawfly next. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us on today's program. We're going to talk about a really difficult issue, wheat stem sawfly. And if you say, oh, I don't I don't have wheat, I'm not concerned about that. Well, do you have soybeans? Have you heard of the soybean gall midge issue that's going on right now? Uh, there are a number of other crops where we have similar bugs that, that work kind of like this. But uh, I'm not the total expert on this. We've got somebody along who is an expert on this. We've got David Weaver, uh, who is a principal investigator into this wheat stem sawfly research that's going on right now out at the University of Montana. David, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Hi. How are you guys doing? Well, pretty good. We're hoping we're we're always hoping that you're going to give us uh, this new solution. That hey, you know what? We figured out this softly thing, and it's not as bad as you think. It's it's much easier to solve. But I, I've kind of got a feeling you're not going to say that today. Yeah, I'm pretty notorious for crushing people's hopes. I think. <laughs> so. You sound like my brother, then, David. Yeah, I, I I hope I can say a few things that are helpful, though. Okay, so talk to us about this this tough bug, and maybe I, I guess we should probably start this way, since we've got listeners all over the place here that that may not be familiar with wheat stem sawfly. Explain a little bit what this bug is and and why it's such a problem. Yeah, okay. The wheat stem sawfly is a native insect from uh, the northern Great Plains region, and uh, probably extends over as far as where you guys are in uh, South Dakota, but maybe not in. Uh, in such big numbers, but in in the Montana country and parts of Colorado and and Nebraska, there are pretty serious problems uh, right now. Also, uh, North Dakota has uh, on and off type problems with it. It's a uh, small black and yellow insect that uh, probably about uh, half inch long or so that's going to start flying here in Montana if it ever warms up by uh, right around the end of this month. Down in Colorado, they're probably flying now. It it uh, is most known for the fact that it 
ultimately lays its eggs inside stems. And then when the larva is feeding inside the stem, it feeds on the parenchyma, the tissue lining the stem, uh, and it goes through nodes. So it'll interfere with nutrient flow, which decreases head size uh, in, in wheat that's been infested. But the worst thing, and how most people spot it if they're not familiar with it and, and suddenly have a, an outbreak of it on their, on their property, is that uh, at the time of crop maturity, when the wheat starts to dry down, when it's senescing, once the moisture content's below about 40% or so, the uh, wheat stems off like girdles the base of the stem and that makes a place for itself to live uh, down by the crown of the plant uh, for the winter, and the stem falls over and uh, makes makes for terrible harvest problems depending on the size of the infestation in a particular grower's field. Yeah, it's it's a tough, tough bug. And when you think about these bugs that get into the stock, I grew up on our farm. We had corn borers all the time, and they'd bore, these little larvae would bore their way into the corn stock, and you had just a few days where you could control them when they were outside the plant. But once they were in, you're in big trouble. And I think about this, these flies that are going to lay their eggs inside the stem. Boy, it'd be nice if we could just get them, but they don't just fly for a couple days and it's over. It seems like those flights are quite extended. Yeah, that's the that's the big problem. There's no question the adults are vulnerable to uh, any number of uh, commonly used insecticides. But the problem is, is the uh, emergence time lasts a period of weeks, even though an individual fly only lasts about a week. Um, they can emerge for, you know, three to four weeks easily in great numbers. And, and so it just doesn't pencil out. And frankly, it just doesn't work very well to try and uh, target spraying even at peak flight because there's just uh, such a long wave of them. They just keep coming. All right. The other thing that I think about, too, in other crops like corn, we've got BT traits. What are, what's the likelihood of a BT trait coming for wheat stem softly? Yeah, as far as we know, we've, we've looked at that a little bit. Um, there's not really any BT that's known to attack uh, hymenopterans like this. Uh, and if you tried to make a BT wheat, I can imagine that that would have to be genetically engineered. And, you know, there are quite a few prohibitions on genetic transformation <laughs> yes. of wheat yep. for commercial trade markets right now. No, I get that. And I, I I do talk to a number of farmers that say, well, we're going to go solid stem then, but that's not always all it's cracked up to be either. What what have you seen with the solid stem wheat and, and what kind of success are guys having in the face of wheat stem soft fly pressure? Yeah, so... You know, we, we recommend planting solid stem, and I, I recognize that, uh, um, you know, the solid stem is an imperfect solution, um, but, uh, but I think there is a lot of value in it. Uh, our breeders are constantly working on new and improved varieties, and they're continuing to tinker up, so to speak, the yield to get them more and more comparable with, uh, with what we see uh, in hollow stems. Um, and in fact, we've done some recent uh, studies where we've seen that under, you know, moderate soft fly pressure, uh, the hollow stems actually out-yield the, or the solid stems actually out-yield the hollows. I think I reversed that there. Um, and they uh, definitely are, are more promising. So we want our growers to try and start adopting some of the new and improved varieties. There's no question germplasm improvement, especially tying solid stem to yield parameters or other quality parameters is, is a big challenge. Um, but we've been working on it for decades here, and uh, the, 
the newest varieties are by far the best ever. Now, one thing too, David, we get questions about rotation and tillage and other things that guys are trying. Have you seen other strategies, other cultural practices that, that can help try to avoid some of this problem, even changing up planting dates and that type of thing? Yeah, I think that depends on the area here in our area where we've been having problems the longest. I think the populations are, are so large and on such a broad area that there's no question having a rotation, at least at the level of a, a section or two sections of, of planted acres, um, will help to disrupt the population in that in that location. Um, and definitely, uh, of course, there's nothing they can live in other than weed. And now, uh, I guess I should say, our, some of our growers are saying barley stems off fly as well. Um, but I, th- I think that ultimately it depends on how complicated and how much rotation you can have on the landscape. Uh, certain, certainly anytime you plant something that just disrupts the, the life cycle by taking away hosts is going to help a little bit. Um, you also mentioned tillage. Uh, we, we aren't in favor of that, um, mainly because we've found that over many years, tillage uh, has some adverse effects on the uh, parasitic wasps that are really important in, in our country here in terms of contributing to the, the control of uh, the larger wheat stem sawfly problems. Now, you mentioned parasitic wasps, and and I've got a son that's deadly scared of wasps. Boy, if there's a wasp out there, he wants nothing to do with it. But you're not talking about great big wasps. You're talking about oftentimes uh, smaller ones that, that have different purposes out there. What kind of impact can wasps make, and is this something where we may see a release of more wasps to try to fight this problem? Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, the wasps are native, just like the sawflies, and they before there was wheat grown in this country, they would have been coexisting in some sort of balance in uh, in the prairie grasslands. Um, these these parasitic wasps are specialists on wheat stem sawfly only, and they're really quite tiny, about you know one third the size of the sawfly. So uh, you know less less than a quarter of an inch, maybe an eighth of an inch. Uh, so not very big. They they kill the sawflies, so that's that's pretty advantageous. What happens is the uh, when the larvae get bigger, the parasitic wasp stings the sawfly larva feeding inside of the stem, right right through the stem wall, and it paralyzes the sawfly. And then the parasitic wasp female that did the stinging lays an egg on the sawfly, and when it hatches, it feeds on the paralyzed sawfly larva uh, until it consumes it and kills it which uh, takes it about a week or so. And uh, they're called parasitoids rather than parasites because they actually kill uh, the, uh, the thing that they're feeding on. And uh, they're pretty important in, in our area here. You know, we've known about them for a long time and we've done as much as we can to, to uh, enhance awareness of them and try to make sure that people don't do uh, things that can really harm them, like uh, burning your residue, for example. They, sure. they overwinter. Sure. Uh, David, i got to cut you off there. We're up against a break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. 
That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Compromise is nice if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Hi, I'm Greg Souter with 360 Yield Center. Getting more nitrates into the corn plant drives yields higher. When and where you place your nitrogen makes a big difference in packing nitrates into the ear. 360 Y-Drop places in right over the roots. It's the most efficient way to move nitrates into the plant for better tip fill and heavier kernels. Convert your side dress bar to 360 Y-Drop. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. And uh, just before the break, we're chatting with David Weaver with Montana State, who's working on the wheat stem sawfly issue. And wow, has he been a fountain of knowledge here for us. Uh, David, sorry about that. We ran into a break and had to cut you off for a second. You were talking about the the wasps that are helping to control the wheat stem sawfly population. And uh, I, I was talking to my brother over the break, and I said, how about a radical solution? Nobody plants wheat this year. Well, that isn't going to work, but if even if it did, sawfly feeds on other things besides just wheat, correct? Yeah, uh, it's starting to use barley more in our area as far as uh, uh, crops that it can use. Uh, it's also pretty able to uh, sustain itself in lots of forage crops like uh hay that uh, species that you grow like timothy it, it likes timothy and can maintain itself in that and uh and and lots of the surrounding grass around uh wheat cropland as well is is a good host that's probably how they made it into wheat in the first place is they kind of bridged that natural affinity for grass and started moving into the wheat 
When did you start doing research on wheat stem softly? Yeah, like 1997 or so, a long time ago. So, Yeah, this isn't a brand new problem, but it is spreading a little bit and is moving. I know um, uh, growers to our west are, are seeing more than they've seen before. And um, it, it's one of those things that I, I see other pests that are similar. Do you get calls from other universities talking about soybean gall midge and, and some of these other insects that that kind of operate similarly, at least uh, from my layman's view? Uh, yeah, not not too much, actually. We seem to only be uh, getting calls from people who are suddenly facing wheat stem sawflies for the first time in their area. Um, you know, uh, of course, there's not much uh, growing up here that way as far as uh, soybeans, so... Um, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't have very much to offer, um, and, and but we'd always take a call if somebody wanted to bounce some ideas for sure. Yeah, it sure is a, a big challenge, no doubt about that. Uh, glad we've got people uh, like David Weaver that we're talking to here working on this. Uh, David, anything else you'd like to add? Well, I was going to tell you a little bit of a story. You know, we've been working on this a long time, and I, I thought maybe I could take a minute and tell you something. You know, sure. When you plant wheat, right, it makes uh, it makes multiple stems from the seed, right? It, it produces right. tillers. Yep. Um, so one of the things that uh, some growers had as an idea was is that you know when a stem is infested, maybe the other tillers that aren't infested would compensate and yield. So we did. We did some research. It was really hard to do this research for a couple of years to see if there was what we call compensatory yield in, in the tillers. And the bad news was we found the exact opposite. We found systemic yield loss. So stems that are associated with the seed that don't have sawflies in them still suffer yield penalties in, in our varieties up here and probably would everywhere. So what might have been a great thing, I wanted to tell a positive story and ended up saying something uh, that wasn't all that encouraging about that either. That's well, a tough insect for it's, sure. It's why we're glad there's research done because otherwise you just don't know on some of those things. And I, I could certainly understand the logic behind that theory that, oh, well, maybe the other stems will make up for it. But, uh, wow, that, that is interesting. And, and uh, wow, it's, it's, it's a tough bug. Yeah, it is. Well, David, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for the work that you're doing and uh, look forward to talking to you again down the road. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I hope it rains a lot for you guys. <laughs> I hope you guys get some rain out in Montana, too. That's almost always a safe bet to to wish someone in Montana uh, some more rainfall or at least more timely rainfall. Uh, let's head down to Nebraska. We've got Jeffrey Bradshaw with us with the University of Nebraska. Uh, Jeffrey, this this wheat stem sawfly issue, uh, as David Weaver was outlining, is is quite a challenge. What are you seeing in the state of Nebraska? Is it a problem that's growing there, too? Yeah, over the past couple of years, we've seen them expand quite a bit throughout the panhandle of Nebraska, uh, which is where most of our wheat is grown. We don't see them too much uh, east of Chapel, uh, but uh, in the panhandle, it's a it's a major issue and uh, has been uh, spreading uh, over the past, I'd say, about 10 years. It's, it's increased in range and intensity at some locations. Now, when do you see sawfly starting to pop up? If you're a, a wheat producer in the state of Nebraska, is there a time of year that you're saying, hey, you should be out scouting, you should be out watching for this? Yeah, in terms of the adult appearance in Nebraska, we typically see them start to emerge around now uh, or around next week. Uh, our degree days are a little bit behind this year. We've been a little cooler. Uh, but I would expect to see them start to fly around 
uh, next week in, in a lot of our fields, particularly in the, starting in the southern panhandle. What is the time period then from, from when you have flights to when you start seeing some issues out in wheat fields? Yeah, so we, we see flights clear uh, through heading, and then we typically, um, you know, unless you're um, splitting wheat stems, you typically don't notice the uh, uh, pretty conspicuous impact of them that is lodging until usually about the week of harvest, unfortunately. So oftentimes we may have a custom combine crew that shows up, and a week previously the wheat was standing up no problem, and then the combines show up and the crew is looking at uh, wheat that's laying flat on the ground. So it happens pretty quickly. Yeah, that is uh, that is not a good deal. Okay, so in the panhandle, uh, how are growers trying to address this issue? Are they, I'm assuming, using crop rotation, but are there some other things that they can do to try and help? Yeah, here in dryland, crop rotation is uh, you know pretty common. We have three to four um, crops that we rotate, including fallow, in our dryland systems. Um, most of our producers, um, you know, the best way to manage it in our area is just to try to try our best to get out and harvest the wheat uh, as soon as we can. Uh, the longer it sits out there dry, uh, the greater risk it is the lodging, um, particularly as windstorms come through. That's typically when we when we see our worst lodging is when we have a, a storm that comes through and it blows the wheat down. We can have fairly high infestations of wheat stem softline, still not have lodging if we're fortunate enough to ha have any wind. This year, I don't think we're ever going to have time where we don't have wind. What What have you seen? I, I know it gets awfully dry in your part of the world uh, more times than not. Uh, do you see a big difference in wheat stem sawfly issues when it's wet or when it's dry? Does one make a big difference? Yeah, it's been a long time since we've seen wet. Um, but, uh, you know, and I think um, hope springs eternal. And every year I think our producers have hoped that the sawfly issue is going to uh, kind of go away. We saw uh, kind of a, a, a resurgence of them maybe in the middle 90s and then they kind of went away we didn't see them much anymore i started finding them uh and getting reports of them maybe around 2011 2012 and the numbers just kept increasing so at least almost the entire time i've been here as faculty at the university of nebraska they've been a persistent problem and they just keep expanding in range so our growers have had to adapt to that and in some cases they have um finger pickers on the front of their cutter bars on their combines that they use that can help quite a bit to pick up wheat depending on how the wheat lodges. It's just a lot slower going. When you look at these adults, uh, when we're talking about wheat stem softfly, certainly if, if you were out there spraying a pyrethroid insecticide and they all flew on one day, we'd have pretty decent control on the adults. But, of course, the, the flights are over such a long period of time. Do you see any insecticides mm -hmm. that give us enough residual where we could get into a program kind of like fungicides where we're spraying every couple of weeks or something or is it just there are just too many adults coming and and we just can't get anything to last long enough to stop them yeah really i mean you hit on it there there's just too many uh there's probably a level where because uh, a lot of times what we see is um what we've seen here is an early infestation that is early sort of in the population growth um over the years of a, of a sawfly population, we see them kind of establish in border, in field borders first. 
Um, and there may be a time in there where a border application of an insecticide well-timed might work, but it's really hard to figure out when that when you're facing a problem because usually you have one year where you have a border infestation the next year it's it's a full-blown sure field-wide sure. issue we're talking with jeffrey bradshaw here with the university of nebraska jeffrey we're up against a break here but can you hang on we'd love to talk to you a little bit more be glad to listening to ag phd radio and our topic today is wheat stem sawfly real happy to have some experts on that have been doing research with this pest because it's a tough one to stop We'll continue the discussion right after this. Take a second and listen. You hear that? That's the sound of your roots growing where they've never gone before. There are additional nutrients and water in your soil, hidden in tough to reach spaces. With MycoApply Endoprime, hyphae attached to the root hairs to reach small areas inaccessible to big roots, even some that are tied up in the soil. Applied in furrow at planting, MycoApply Endoprime uses four, four unique species of mycorrhizal fungi to go where roots can't. Unlock the potential of your corn crop with MycoApply Endoprime, and by nurturing your soil today, you're helping to ensure future harvest will be just as bountiful. For more information, talk to your local retailer or visit valent.com slash endoprime. Always read and follow label instructions. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And our topic is wheat stem sawfly. 
Our phone lines are open. If you have an agronomic question you would like to ask, or if you want to join in on this discussion, that's fine too. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. We've got Jeffrey Bradshaw with us with the University of Nebraska talking a little bit about the, the sawfly problem, in mainly in the panhandle in Nebraska. But uh, there, there are a lot of challenging bugs down in Nebraska, Jeffrey. I think about the soybean gall midge larvae, and I know some of your counterparts are finding that thymet may insecticide at planting time may help with that. Is there any insecticide that you've worked with that could potentially help, like Regent or Thymet or one of these seed treatments at a high rate? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Uh, one of my colleagues at Colorado State University uh, a couple of years back did look at Thymet. Um, actually spring apply to winter wheat um, with a uh, infero applicator system. And um, interestingly enough, he had one year where it was pretty conspicuous um, any plot that was treated with thymet was standing and any plot that wasn't was laying flat. Problem is that was one year of the three years and only that one year did it look like that. Huh. The other two years where they did the study, everything was laying flat. And they, I don't think they ever figured out, you know, what was the magic, so to speak, that allowed thymet to work in that one year. So hey, it's can, can I pretty just, unusual that you see a, yeah, yeah, let, sorry, let me jump in there quick. I, as you were saying that, and this is Brian. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. Uh, I, I, I hear that. And you said, I, if I, unless I miss something, winter wheat. So that would mean it was seeded in the fall. And then they came along in the spring with the thymet. I mean, why didn't they put the thymet out there in the fall? I think the, the issue is just um, they assume that it wouldn't last through uh, from the fall through the spring to be uh, an active product by the time the soft flies would um, become active again. Hmm. So, yeah, I yeah, uh, Frank Pierce did that work at CSU. I wasn't involved in that study. Yep, interesting. Okay, yeah, because I, I mean, I just think about corn, for example, and if we tried the same thing with corn, where we don't put it right down with the seed, we can come back. I don't care if it's two, three weeks later, whatever, and it just it flat out will not work. So. I'd be really curious to see if they did, well, let's say up, up in this region, we've got a lot of spring wheat. If they did spring wheat, mm-hmm. um, you know, how, how that mm-hmm. would look. Or obviously out west, mm-hmm. when it's winter wheat, what, what would happen if it, was, uh, if it was done in the fall? I don't know. Just, just a thought. We're, mm-hmm. we're willing to try anything or throw anything out to have somebody try because we're, we're so desperate for a solution to this thing. It's terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, Desperate is right. Uh, you know, Austin, the Panhandle, certainly the folks in Northeast Colorado um, have it have it pretty bad. Uh, and in fact, the folks in Colorado don't have the benefits that we have in Nebraska, apparently. Uh, we have some parasitoids here that are really effective uh, that they just don't find in Colorado at all, uh, which is kind of another puzzle uh, in a group of puzzles with this pest. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's It's been a challenging one, wheat stem sawfly. Uh, any other comments you've got, Jeffrey, uh, before we let you run? Yeah, I mentioned the the parasitoid. We've looked at, uh, there's a couple parasitoids, uh, Brachon cephi, Brachon lysigaster, that attack the wheat stem sawfly as when it's a larva. Uh, and because of that, it's pretty effective at control. We've had some fields uh, around Hemiford, Nebraska, that uh, had up to 95% control just due to that parasitoid, uh, which is a native insect. And one of the um, things that we've been trying to figure out is uh, where does it come 
come from and what can we do to possibly conserve its numbers. So we're still doing some research into that, but it might actually be related to some of the borrow pits that we have around the roadsides uh, up in that area and the types of grasses that are grown there. So interesting. Just look interesting. forward to some of those results. Yeah. Well, you might see the guys in Montana making more trips into the panhandle of Nebraska, uh, hoping to bring a little bit of that home because it should be nice to slow this thing down. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. I think it's the first time that we've had you on the show. We'd love to have you back again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Brian, you know, we think about a bug like this, wheat stem sawfly. Once it's inside that plant, you're just too late, and the adult doesn't have this flight cycle that allows for treatment. It's it's a challenge when we get stuff like that, and I know just thinking about, man, if there was something like, like Thymet, for example, I, I mean anything, and it, not that Thymet's the greatest product in the world, but if there was just something that could slow this thing down, that would be very helpful. And, and then uh, what Jeffrey Bradshaw was saying there too, hey, we've got some natural – uh, parasitoids out there that if if they could just increase in number and we could do everything to support them, uh, that's that's been a huge help as well. My question and comment a minute ago about thymet, I, I just want to explain that a little bit more. Here's my theory. If you don't have it right down where it needs to be in that root zone, then it takes tremendous water to get it down there inches and inches and inches of water to get it down there. And my guess, and I didn't, I haven't looked at the research, nothing else. This is literally the first I've heard about it. But my guess is putting it out in the spring on winter wheat. The reason why it didn't work, we didn't have the 10 to 30 inches of rain that you really need to get it down in there where it needs to be. So I'm guessing if you put it out in the fall and you have a drier year, then you'll still get response. It, it just gives you more time to get the rainfall. And the big thing is it's already in the right place. So when I talk about 10 to 30 inches, you go, oh, that stuff's never going to work for me if it takes that much rain. No, that's not my point. My point is it needs to be in the root zone. If it's not in the root zone, it takes a tremendous amount of moisture to move it to the root zone, especially in heavy soils. So that's really our big concern. And you might say, well, wheat has a lot of roots that are close to the soil surface. They may, but it just it takes so much water and it, it to get that thymet well down into that root zone. So anyway, that's just my guess. I certainly could be wrong, but just knowing what I've known and what I've learned about soil insecticides and being around them for the last forty years, uh, that that's my assumption. So if I'm a wheat farmer out there and I'm having problems with wheat stem sawfly, then that might be something that could be tried. Now, granted, we can't advise you to do anything that's off label and i'm guessing it's probably not labeled but if let's say you go to amvac the company that makes it and you say hey i want to work with you guys is there some way we could could do some some kind of experimentation i can get a permit to do this whatever it is there you go that that would be just our thought and and it's also something to say all right for any of these universities or anybody else doing research why not try some of these things let's try more stuff we got to come up with something because right now we don't have much for solving this wheat stem soft lie issue. Oh, and quite frankly, like even with the the gallmage larvae in soybeans, I mean, it is it is the worst bug you can get in soybeans. If you get it, you could lose 100% of your crop. It's terrible. I did not imagine that Thymet was going to be the solution for that, but right now the data looks fantastic with Thymet. 
So anyway, just again, I've been, I, I've, I've known about thiamet. I've learned about, I've, I, we've used some, we used some on our farm years and years and years ago. So I, I mean, I got 40 years worth of knowledge on thiamet. I didn't think that it would do that. I, and I was surprised when Jeffrey Bradshaw said, Hey, there actually was one out of three years where even applied in the spring on winter wheat, it did a great job on the wheat stem soft lie. So Anyway, sometimes some of these solutions can come from products that even people like us who are very familiar with them wouldn't expect. All right, lots of questions uh, this time of year as planting rolls along through much of the Midwest, and uh, we're, we're a little bit different date than what we'd like to be. I know there's guys that I talked to today that said, man, it's like May 12th. I would normally be planting corn on April 12th in my farm. Yep, that's just the year that we get thrown. And if you've got agronomic questions, we'd love to help you. You know, you said that, Darren, but it's only May 12th. It's only May 12th. So our our dad was big on, okay, worst case scenario, I'd really like to have my corn done planting in our area by May 17th. So if you're not familiar with the date, May 17th, uh, for both Darren and me, we're like three quarters Norwegian. Well, May 17th is Norwegian Independence Day. So especially like for our grandpa, who was 100% Norwegian, that was a big day, set in Demai. And anyway, for whatever reason, that was the date that our dad always talked about, hey, we want to get corn planting done by then. If I finish my corn planting by May 17th, I don't give up much yield, he would always say. After that, I start to give up a little bit. But still, I guess my point here is still relatively early, plenty of time to get stuff done. Stay tuned. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Farmers across the country are raving about Germinator closing wheels. Paul from New York says, I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more Germinator success stories, visit farmshopmfg.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. At AgPhD, we want to support anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event. In-field sessions include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So this is one event that you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. 
Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we've been talking about wheat stem softfly, but we're taking your calls and agronomic questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. Get this one in from Bradley. He said, I believe that group three herbicides, which would be things like trifluralin, and group 15 chemicals like metolachlor or acetochlor have different modes of action and attack a plant differently. But I'm wondering, is there a synergy between the two when they're used together? Have you ever combined these two for water hemp control? Would you expect to see more control versus using either one by itself? Well, what synergy really is, is when one plus one equals three, or maybe one plus one equals 2.3. The, the point is, with synergy, you get more than each of the individual things. But in this case, I don't think you're going to get that. I think 1 plus 1 still is going to equal 2. Now, neither one of these is going to be perfect on something like water hemp and the small seeded broadleaves. They both have activity. The yellows are a little better than the group 15s if you compare full rate to full rate. But, I mean, there are other things that are better for less money. And so that's usually the direction that we go. Like in soybeans, for example, we don't talk about using group 15s pre because we got three better options. We have yellows, we have metribuzin, and we have PPO, either authority or valor. So why would I want to choose option four when I've got three things that are better? I can use the group 15 post-emerge though when I can't use the yellow, I can't use metribuzin, and I can't use valor or authority. So anyway, um, we, we really like both these products, the, the yellows, group threes, the group 15s. Um, it's just I don't think you're going to get any synergy necessarily. But, of course, if you were to use both of them, you are going to kill more weeds than if you just use one or the other. All right. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Uh, get this one from Cameron. He's in northern Colorado. Uh, they've got a dairy farm, they're cutting silage, they're growing some corn, they've got some flood irrigation. Uh, so, of course, they've got access to manure. They've got access to dairy parlor lagoon water that's separated over the winter. Uh, they've got some uh, separated wet solids as well. So lots of stuff that they can put out in the field. Uh, Cameron was kind enough to send some soil samples here to, to take a look at and, and maybe make a recommendation. Now, Cameron, you went into some detail about all the, the tillage practices and, and so forth. Um, let, let's just start with this. So let's look at the fertility 
what do you think, Brian? I guess what are your first takes as you look at that that sample? First take is you got a massive issue with sodium. You're at four point eight percent sodium. That is absolutely hurting your yield right now. How much is it hurting? I don't know. Could be in the range of ten percent to forty percent. It's also hurting the infiltration of your water, yep. and that makes your irrigation much less efficient too. Yeah. Now the good news is he does have sixty nine percent calcium. So there's a fairly decent level of calcium out there. Magnesium's 20%. I mean, it's not horrible, especially when we figure the cation exchange capacity is 15. But we got to flush that sodium out. So my concern is it's either the manure or it's the irrigation water or it could be both. But that's so the first thing I'm going to So you need to take samples address. of each of those to find out where this where this sodium is coming from. Well, yeah, but let me let me stop you right there. I'm going to tell you right now, if I get 4.8% sodium, no chance in the world I'm putting manure on. And when you hear that, you're going to go, wait, I have to put manure on. If you do, you do. But I'm just saying you keep putting manure on and it's only going to hurt you. It's not going to help you. You already have really good levels of potassium. You're at 6.5% K. You got 100 parts per million of phosphorus, roughly. What is the, what is the Those CEC? things are good. 15. 15. So, yeah, so he's at 400 parts per million on potassium. I mean, he's fine, right? I'm not saying you, you want to stop putting potassium on forever, but I am saying you might want to switch to commercial fertilizer for a little bit until you fix this issue with excess sodium because that's a bad, bad, bad sodium level and it's only going to get worse unless you address it. Now, here's my other concern. I have one sample. How big is this field? Do you know? Uh, 75 acres, this one, I think. Okay. So if it's me, I'm pulling 75 samples out there. I'm going to sample every single acre because I'm going to guess you have some spots that are 10% sodium in that field. Now, that's just a guess, but I'll bet you you do. Those 10% sodium areas are soon going to be dead unless you get them addressed. So I, I hope you can hear in my voice the urgency with which you need to act here because pretty soon, I mean, you're headed on the path of dead soil. And we don't want you to have dead soil, nor do you, obviously. Okay, so that's number one, number two, number 10. Sodium, 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 sodium. That's the only thing I'm thinking about until I get that problem solved. Now, if you want to talk about some other things, um, I, I would just say your zinc is low compared to how much phosphorus you have. Usually we like somewhere about a 10 to 1 ratio. Well, you got 100 parts per million of phosphorus and only five of zinc. So would I put a little zinc out there? You bet I would. Um, other than that, I, I don't know. I mean, most everything looks pretty good. You've got enough fertility here to raise. And, and I mean, if you put, well, even your nitrate level is 195 pounds. So you, if you just, if yeah, you. I believe they raised around 23 or 25 ton silage there. Yeah. And what I'm saying here is you've got enough, that overall fertility, when I look at this soil and I figure it's irrigated and everything else, you have enough to do 40 tons other than the nitrogen and the sulfur. I mean, but those are obviously leachable. You can keep putting those on. I'd probably keep putting a little boron on too because that's also leachable. But, I, I mean, I'd be shooting for way more than you are is what I'm trying to say. But the thing that's holding you back today is the sodium. All right. Thanks for the question. If you got some follow-ups, uh, if you have tests on the manure, the, the water, or anything else, uh, feel free to send them in, Cameron. We really appreciate it. Okay, as I, as I was finishing that up, I remember last week Darren was saying I gave somebody a hard time, and please don't think that I'm I'm trying to give you a hard time. I'm 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 just trying to stress the importance of we don't want your soil to die, 
And I'm also trying to stress the importance here of I'd like to see a lot more tests in that field than one. Because one, I don't know where you pulled that from. So it, it, this could be a complete fluke, and I could be dead wrong, and this is the highest spot in the whole field, and everything else is 1% sodium, and you're good to go. And so now we could legitimately talk about 35 to 40 ton this year if you do the right things. But if this is the low point at 4.8% sodium, then we got, that's bad news, and, and we got to start addressing this thing today. So anyway, I'd just like to see more samples than one for the whole field. Oh, let, let me let me give you one more reason why you want to do that. Even, okay, let's just talk bushels because that's easier than tons because I don't know what they're paying for tons or anything else. But let's just say that you've got 250 bushel corn, which you should be able to raise in irrigated ground. So if you've got 250 bushel corn times this fall's price of, let's just even say it's $7. That's $1,750 an acre. What'd you say this was? 75 acre field, Darren? That's $131,000. $131,000 potential gross. What I'm asking you to spend is 10 bucks an acre to get 75 samples. Now, you don't have to do one acre grids. You could do two acre or three acre or something like that, but just get more tests. So my point here is on this $131,000 potential and more that you've got, I'm asking you to invest 300 to 750 bucks in soil sampling. And then you're going to learn a lot, not just for this year, but for the future too, and set yourself up on a plan so we can take that thing to the next level instead of just staying at the 20, 25 tons, wherever you're at now. And that's certainly not bad, but We'd like it to be a lot higher, and there's nothing that I see here when I look at your soil that's holding you back other than that one thing. All right. Thanks a lot for the questions. really appreciate that, and maybe that just got some more questions in your mind as well. Hopefully it did. Uh, I got a question here from Keegan, and Keegan is a student at BYU in Idaho. He said, I'm majoring in agricultural science and tech with a double minor in animal science and ag business. Wow, that's uh, that's impressive, Keegan. Good job. Way to go. He said, I, I'm looking for scholarships, just wondering what opportunities you have, and also uh, some more information on the scouting and scholarships program. Is that open to students from anywhere? Yes, it's absolutely open to students anywhere. You can just go to agphd.com if you'd like to learn more, but with and, and let's see i was just going to see if we've got it right on the uh, the main site there it doesn't look like we do yep, uh, but under the, the events, events tab click on scouting the and tab. scholarships yeah it's saturday june 25th coming up right here at the ag phd field day site this is in uh, uh just outside of sioux falls south dakota so yeah you can find all the details and and pre-register at agphd.com thanks yeah, but we're Keegan. giving really away it's, it. it's close to 60 scholarships now i think it's, hopefully more it's yeah it's going to be a fun day no doubt about that and a good day of learning as well Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.